Father God, I, I thank you for today. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you that we can know him, that we can love him. God, I thank you that in Christ we have freedom, we have hope, we have peace. Now, Lord, as we jump into your word today, may you be glorified. May you set a guard on my mouth and on my spirit to keep me from saying what shouldn't be said and to prompt me to say what should be. For it's in Jesus' good name I pray. Amen. Amen. So, just a uh, happy new year. I don't know about the rest of you, but I got my first 2017 cold. Praising the Lord, though, because if you look on Facebook, a cold is the preferred sickness right now that's going around at Uniontown. It's a lot of people who are uh, not feeling well, so hopefully I won't need those, but there was no chance I wasn't bringing them. Um, One quick observation. Um, It's cold outside. And you guys are dead. Is that a crazy observation? Anybody else feel like you're like, I'm here, man. Just celebrate the fact that I'm here. Anybody else feel like that? Come on, be honest. All right, good. So for the rest of you liars, stand up. I mean this, stand up. I'm going to read something to you real quick. If I can remember what the order of the book of the Bible are, sorry. That would be over here, Frank. I just want to see, get you guys a little exercise. You can stand there for a little while. That's all right. Think about these words that Jude writes and what it should do to your soul if you know Jesus Christ. Jude's prayer, he ends his little book like this. Now to him who's able to keep you from stumbling. Think about that for a second. Now to him who's able to keep you from stumbling, to him who's able to present you blameless before the presence of his glory and with great joy. Um, Any of you this morning standing here like, that's me, I'm blameless, I've had a perfect day. Some of you are like, yep, just kidding, I didn't see where you're going. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, authority, before all time, now, and forever. That's the God we serve. So what I want you to do in the next 30 seconds is turn around and say good morning to somebody based on the fact that you serve an amazing God who can work through you even when you're tired. morning. (laughs) All righty, grab a seat, grab your Bible, go to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. Good morning. Hey, we're awake now. Galatians chapter 1. I want to let you know as you're turning to Galatians chapter 1, I can't believe it's 2017. Um, I can't believe how fast 2016 wrapped up. I cannot believe the opportunities that God trusted us with as a church over the last three weeks, and I said it on Facebook. I'm not a big Facebook guy. Usually that's Stephanie, but I, I left here 
I left here on December 23rd after the funeral service and I was struck with just, um, I love my church. I'm not talking about this building. I love you guys. What I got to see happen in the last two or three weeks in the hearts and lives of the people that call Uniontown home is I got to see Jesus. I got to be a part of, of what you guys are doing and following Jesus and loving other people. So thank you for serving me that way. You ministered to my heart. I don't mean serving me like, come on, minions, let's go. I mean, you, you really served my heart. Um, I laid my head on my pillow tired, but overwhelmed. Christmas Eve was awesome. Christmas morning, okay, I'm going to admit up front, I did not think it would be awesome. I had a blast on Christmas morning with you guys. Our kids, man, they came out in force. They were a little hyper, and you had a couple of reasons why the kids might have been hyper on Christmas morning, right? Either they had opened their gifts and you dragged them here and they weren't allowed to play with them, or they hadn't yet. Either way, they were like, yeah, come on, preach it. Um, <laughs> so you get a kid doing that, it's a good morning. So not, numbers don't matter, but one of the things that God um, trusted us with over that Christmas weekend, between Friday and the two funeral services, Saturday with the Christmas Eve services, and Sunday with Christmas services, God entrusted to us the souls of almost 3,500 people to preach the gospel to in those three days. Folks, that's just the beginning because there's a lot more than that in Carroll County, aren't there? And so as we run off this hill, may God continue to give us opportunities. I would prefer different opportunities, but may we take advantage of each one. So here we go, back in the saddle, Galatians chapter 1. I'm going to tell you what I've told everybody else. The difficulty for me in preaching Galatians in this context is um, Paul wrote Galatians and Paul is angry. I mean, there's, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Paul's ticked. And my fear, my fear is that I'm going to preach angry. And so I don't want you to think I'm preaching angry at you. I'm, I'm, I'm intentionally, I am not. Um, my hope is that I'm just trying to dive into the passage here. Look at it. Why, why is Paul preaching angry? Well, you have to understand a little bit of the background of the book of Galatians. So uh, the book of Galatians is Paul's writing to a number of churches in this this area of Galatia. It's, 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 there's two different opinions as to if it's south or north, but either way, it's these churches that were planted in Acts chapter 13 and Acts chapter 14 when Paul and Barnabas went on the first missionary journey. So as they went, they preached the gospel. Miracles were done to accompany the preaching to prove that what they were saying was true. God was putting his stamp of approval on their preaching. And then as they were leaving, they appointed elders and planted churches in that area. And so, so Paul leaves there, Acts 13 and 14. If you continue reading in Acts chapter 15, what you find in the very first verse of Acts chapter 15 is this huge conflict has arisen. And men in, of, of, of Judea, Judaizers, these men who are faithful to the Old Testament law, they, they come to the apostles and are like, no, I'm sorry, but people cannot be saved. Gentiles cannot be saved unless they follow the Mosaic law as well, unless they are uh, following the, the uh, ceremonial cleansing laws and the, the clean and unclean food laws, unless they are keeping the Sabbath, unless they're being circumcised. Gentiles cannot become Christians. That caused a little bit of a kerfuffle. Word gets back to Paul, 
and he's mad. He's angry. And so what you find in the book of Galatians is this passionate and emotional plea of Paul to people that he loves, but people who have hurt him by attacking his legitimacy and even much more so attacking the legitimacy of the gospel that he preached. Um, just for those, this little side note, I don't think that the Galatians or even the Judaizers would say, come right out and say they're attacking the gospel that Paul's preaching. But what Paul knows, and we're going to see in a second, is that when you alter the message of the gospel in any way, you have removed any of the good news from the gospel and you have attacked it. So, so Paul, it's amazing. You, you, you've read some Pauline epistles. You've read Romans or Ephesians or Philippians. And, and what happens as Paul starts, he's always got this, this little bit of a formula that he uses. Like, oh, grace be to you. I'm Paul the apostle. Good to meet you. Really excited about the things that are happening there. And then I give great thanks for you in my prayers every day when I hear. And he goes through this long thing of, wow, you guys are wonderful and flowery. It's great. Paul does not do that in Galatians. You can hear even in his first verse the angst in his voice. So, so let me read the first five verses for you. Just make a couple quick comments and continue on. It says this in verse one, Paul, Paul an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. You, you can't tell what one of the attacks was on Paul, can you? Paul an apostle, verse two, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches in Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So, so that's Paul's beginning, right? Now that's normal. In Ephesians he would do that. In Philippians he would do that. But then the next step would be, and I give great thanks for your faithfulness, but no, look at verse 6. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. I am shocked that you would do this. I love verse 7. Not, not that there is another one. <laughs> I mean, you've, you've left the gospel, and I'm shocked that you've turned your back on the gospel, and you've run to a different gospel, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. There isn't another gospel. What does the word gospel mean? Good news. Because there's not a second story of good news out there, guys. Verse 8, but even if we... Or, or an angel from heaven should come and preach to you a gospel that is contrary to the one we preached, let him be accursed. That's a strong word. That doesn't mean let's just exercise him out of the church proper. Let's just excommunicate him from the local body of believers. He is saying, may he be sent to hell. And it's interesting that he includes himself and Barnabas, even if we come and preach a different gospel. If we come and say, here, here's an addendum, let's fix the gospel, man, we, should, we deserve hell. If an angel comes, let that angel be accursed. How serious is Paul about this? Verse 9, as we have said before, I say it again, anybody who's preaching to you a gospel that is contrary to the one that you've received, let him be accursed. 
One of the accusations against Paul was that he wasn't requiring the Gentiles to take part in the Levitical law, the Mosaic law, and so he was doing that because he was trying to please people. Because let's be honest, if I'm going to preach to you the gospel and say you need to follow Jesus, you're like, I'm in, I'm going to follow Jesus. And if I had to say to you, and um, if you haven't been, you need to be circumcised. That doesn't go over real easily. People aren't like, all right, I'm in for sure. And so the accusation was, Paul, you're a people pleaser. You're not giving them the, the difficult truth. You're holding back. And he says in verse 10, so am I now seeking the approval of man or am I seeking the approval of God? Am I trying to please man? Man, if I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So that's, that's the introduction. That's the beginning of Galatians. It's all warm and fuzzy, isn't it? I mean, there is no ramp up. It is right out of the gate. He's shooting at him with both barrels. What I want us to see as we look at the first 10 verses, we're going to actually finish the chapter this morning, um, but in the first 10 verses, particularly in the first five, what we find is the gospel being defined for us. It's not like uh, systematically laid out for us, not, but, it's, but it's all right there in those first five verses. So, so the gospel defined, what you find in those first five verses, you find what we bring to the table in the message of good news. Verse four talks about it. We don't bring anything to the table. Verse four, he gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. To deliver us. That also can be translated to rescue us. It can be translated to pluck us out. The idea is this, you're drowning, there's no life raft, you have no hope. That's what you brought to the table in the message of the gospel. You haven't brought good deeds, good morality, wonderful church attendance, though I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you do good things, and I'm glad you're very moral, but that doesn't do anything for your standing before God. So instead, what you brought to the table is absolutely nothing, and you needed to be delivered. You need to be plucked. You need to be rescued. So what did Jesus do for us? Verse 4, he gave himself for our sins. See, the message of the gospel is that Jesus Christ willingly gave his life as a substitution for us. He took your place on the cross. There's the old song, probably in the middle 90s, early 90s. Those were your nails. And he took them. It was your crown of thorns, but he wore it. Those were the, the whips on his back. Those were yours. And, and yet, Jesus Christ came and willingly took them for you as a substitute. That's what Jesus did. And God... God saw what Jesus did, and in verse 1, it tells us that God raised him from the dead, that he was raised for our justification. The check cleared. The payment was offered on the cross, and God said, accepted. And so, now we have peace and grace, is what verse 3 talks about. We have peace and grace if we offer this, this substitution on our part, if we, if we accept this offer of substitution on our part interesting it's given to us not because we deserve it because if we deserved it then it wouldn't be grace right it'd be payment this is the gospel let me define it for you i'm gonna leave this up for a while because i'm gonna also compare it to some of the things that we think the gospel are is or grammar escapes me i apologize here's 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 a definition of the gospel gospel is a declaration of good news that this that though we were separated from god because of our sin Though we're helpless to do anything about it ourselves, God loved us and sent his son who died for us, rose from the grave, defeating sin and death forever. 
The declaration of those truths is what is defined as the gospel. And what's amazing is the church of Galatia knew that. They experienced that. You read Acts 13 and 14, and you hear the message of the gospel being preached by the Apostle Paul. They hear that, they embrace it, and they, 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 they live it. But unfortunately, just like the Galatians' tendency was to desert the one who had called them to the gospel, we have the same tendencies. Um, when we redefine the gospel, Paul is very clear who we're deserting. Verse 6, I'm astonished you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. When you run to another gospel, you're turning your back on God. When you run to another gospel, you're actually not running to something that's going to help you. It's not good news because there is no other gospel, and so we must cling to the truth of the gospel, the truth of the gospel, that we were separated from God in our sin and helpless to do anything about it, but because God loved us, he sent us his son who died for us and he rose from the grave and he defeated sin and death forever. What are some of the things we run to instead of that? It's interesting, I don't think in this room there is anybody who would say that's, that's not the gospel. But I think there's a lot of people in this room who have added to that. And the problem is once you add to it, it no longer remains the gospel. So an example for you. Let's say, <laughs> this is a risky example. Um, this, is, this is holy, sanctified, anointed preaching water. It comes right out of the sink in there. It's really not. It's pretty great. Um, how much poison does it take in this cup to turn it from water to death? How much poison? Probably not a lot, huh? Just throw one drop in there. It alters it, doesn't it? It no longer remains just pure water. Not that I'm questioning the purity of the water here at the church. I'm sure it's fine. Um, now I'm worried. <laughs> it's going to be a test. <laughs> you drop some poison in there, it changes everything. That's similar with the gospel. So a couple of the things that, that have stood out just in, in thinking in prayers, I think oftentimes some of the changes we make to the gospel is this. We add a message of resolution. This is the season of resolutions, isn't it? Here we are, January 8th, eight days in. How many of you are still going to the gym every day? Yeah. How many of you made it through Genesis yet? I was doing great for the first couple of days, but then, you, hey, Genesis is easy. Wait till you get to numbers. I'll check in on you in about a month or two. The idea of this message of resolution is sometimes we approach the gospel as this is true, so what that means is I need to restart. I need to, to start everything over again, and then I can do better. And the problem is, is that you're helpless and not able to do anything better. You're limited in your ability, and although you may not fall into the same holes, you're still going to fall into holes because you're a sinner. Um, so uh, I'm not unaware, some of you are here this morning because you resolved to go to church more often. And I'm glad you're here and I'm glad you're resolved to be here, but what you need to understand is that your standing before God is based on your response to the gospel, not on your rear end in a seat here. Your standing before God has nothing to do with how many times you hear a week. I want you here every week. I get bored talking to myself. I do it all week in my office preparing for this morning. That's why this is the highlight of my week. I get to talk to actual faces. 
I want you to be here. I love you being here. There's great value in you being here. There's great scriptural reason and mandate for you to be here. But if you're leaning on your church attendance to gain you access to God and a standing before God, then I want to tell you that's the wrong focus. That's a false gospel. And I would be cruel to stand here before you and say, you know what, if you attended church more, God would be more happy with you. That's false hope and a false gospel. You need to respond to the gospel, not simply be present in a place where it's presented. So you have the, the message of resolution. You have a message of education. This is, this is huge out there right now where you just follow the very teachings of Jesus and the example of Jesus and you'll be okay. There's a lot of people who, 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 who preach that and, and cling to that. I'm just going to listen to the teachings of Jesus and whatever he said and whatever he did, that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to follow those things. The problem is this, is that, that Jesus didn't come to teach he came to save. So, so think about it this way for a second. It would be like coming across a person who's drowning. And, and you take a book that's labeled how to do the breaststroke and you throw it in the water next to him. Right? Kind of ridiculous. Cruel. Right? Or, or maybe it'd be even more cruel to jump in the water next to them and begin doing the breaststroke. Like, just do this. I mean, they don't, they don't need a book, they don't need a teaching, they don't need an example, they need to be rescued. You need to be rescued. You don't need lessons. It's a false gospel. Another false gospel is the message of morality. If I'm good, if I'm nice, if I'm balanced in all areas, then I'll be okay. And the problem is, is <laughs> comes down to definition. Where, where's your standard? See, see, actually, in the gospel of morality, what we're really saying is, I'm just going to compare myself to somebody else, and as long as I'm better than they are, I'm okay. That's not how this works. You don't have to be good to please God. You have to be perfect. That's a problem. It's uh, 9.44 in the morning. Safe to assume on average, in this room, people have had their feet on the floor, eyes open for roughly, well, based on the way the service started, 45 minutes, but let's say two hours. In two hours' time, I'm guessing that there is exactly zero of us who have made it two hours in perfection. So if the scorecard is perfection, if pleasing God comes down to your perfection, you're in trouble. So what do you need? You need somebody to be perfect for you. And that's the message of the gospel. You need the perfection of Jesus credited to your account, and that is what Jesus did. Now, Galatians really hones in on this last one, because this is the big one. And actually, this is probably the most prevalent in conservative churches across America, and it's this, the message of legalism. So I hope you're ready because in the next six, seven weeks, we're going to be talking a lot about legalism, which that ought to be a good time, especially because I'm still a recovering legalist, as are probably all of you. Um, legalism usually presents itself maybe not in a formal list, but maybe an unwritten list of do's and must-nots. So uh, I... I 
I do wear this type of clothing. I do have my hair cut just like this and not any longer. I must read this version of the Bible and no other. I must educate my children like this and not like that. I must do this this many times a week. I must carry this Bible with me here. I I must not ever dance. I must never listen to that. I must never go there. I must never drink alcohol. I must never go to the places where those things can be found. The, the saying in college, and this is real. It's crazy. The saying in college was, you don't, oh, I'm going to forget it now. Smoke, drink, or chew, or go with girls who do. I know, never mind. There's a joke, and I think I just had discernment creep out. I'm not sure. <laughs> Um, what, what happens in the legalism circles is this. Um, we become more concerned with the outward than the inward. And I, I believe with all of my heart that many of us who are recovering legalists, uh, we're in the throes of legalism with the best of intentions. I do, I believe that. Um, because what we were called to and what we clung to is we were supposed to be holy in this unholy world. So we were called to holiness. The problem is somewhere we forgot that we have a total inability to be holy in and of ourselves. And we need an applied holiness to our account to get us the holiness that we actually need that actually counts in God's eyes. But with legalism being such that it's a, it's a call for, for perfectionism, which is never good news because if you fail, then you're done. And so that goes out the window. But, but let, me, let me give you the real hope of the gospel. The real hope of the gospel is this. You will fail. You will screw up. You will make mistakes. You will sin. You will not just sin by accident. You will do it on purpose. You will fail. But you don't have to be crushed by your failures. You can find hope in the grace that is yours in spite of who you are, in spite of your failures, because your hope isn't in your perfection. That's a false gospel. Your hope is in Jesus Christ, whose perfection is complete. So the good news isn't, is, 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 oh, let me get it right. Say it the right way. The good news, in a weird way, is that we aren't and we won't be perfect. The reason that's good news? Because Jesus is. And we have his perfection. So while I strongly believe that many legalists, including myself, are in the throes of legalism with good intentions, I also strongly know, not just believe, I'm confident of this, that there are many recovering legalists and current legalists who are sitting in this room right now who are freaking out over the fact that I just said you can't be perfect. You're freaking out over the fact that I said the mistake we made in legalism was saying that God called us to be holy and so we tried to be holy, misunderstanding the fact that holiness isn't within our grasp, it's applied to us. So I understand fully that it's, it's, it's freaking you out and you think that what Frank is preaching from that pulpit up there, if you call that a pulpit, that's another legalist thing by the way, just in case you're wondering. Um, I'm dabbling all over this line, I'm trying to be careful is that you can abandon holiness and do whatever you want. Don't confuse the message of the gospel. It's not, I do this so that I'm accepted. 
The message of the gospel is, I am accepted by God, and so I gladly do this. Don't get that mixed up. That's, that's where we get messed up, and that's where we get turned upside down. I live a holy life because of my love for Jesus Christ, for what he has done for me, not to make sure he loves me. Um, I'm going to go off script here for a second. Well, one of the challenges that, that God is, is impressing on me, and one of the things that I am praying about, is how to communicate clearly to you as a church one of the most fundamental things that Scripture clearly communicates, and it's this. God's love for you is like no other love you will ever experience. And God's love for you is something you can't possibly wrap your head around. And it, and it needs to look like this. We need to be able to answer this question better. I hate this question, so I apologize because I know what it does to my heart. But, but, but you can pray that throughout this year, we get to this place in our church where we all raise our hand on the second question. You ready? If you know that God loves you, raise your hand. Okay. You can put it down. If you think God likes you, raise your hand. And there you have it. shouldn't matter, but it does. God loves you and sent his son for you. The problem, the reason we struggle with that like part is because we're recovering legalists who believe we need to do in order to get him to like me. His love for you is unending. So you do out of that and so you can help me by praying for me and for us, because I don't know where you're sitting. It probably wasn't 100%, but it was pretty close to the first one. The second one might have been 5%, with a healthy 30% going, I should, but shouldn't. May we understand what it means to be loved by God, because it changes everything. It changes the ridiculous resolutions that you make to read the Word. And understand how I say that. This isn't a resolution. This is life. This is God's Word. This is how I know who He is. This is how I know He likes me. So understanding that should change us, so may it. And may we pray that it does. And, and, and just, I want to wrap up. I'm going to read the end of of chapter 1, because what I love about Paul is that he is not embarrassed to talk about who he is or who he was and why. So he's still angry. I don't want to remove that, but you get to verse 11. He says this, I, I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. I didn't receive it from any man. I wasn't taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And if you remember Paul's interaction with Christ on the road to Damascus, that's what he's referring to. Verse 13, you, you've, heard, you've heard of my former life 
in, in Judaism, how I persecuted the church violently and tried to destroy it, how I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, and I was so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father's. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, well, I didn't immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, who's Peter, and I remained with him for 15 days. I saw no one I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I'm writing to you before God, I am not lying. That's a, um, a legal oath right there. So he's, he's even going to the law system to appeal to that. Verse 21, then I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. So what you see in the, the end of this chapter, it's fascinating. So we talked about, about legalism, and, and Paul's own testimony combats any of the claims of legalism, that there's something you can do and must do in order to be accepted by God. Because what, what did Paul do in order to be accepted by God? Absolutely nothing. I mean, he talks about his past, verse 13, he was a violent persecutor of the church. And, and by violent persecutor of the church, we don't mean that Facebook friend that you have that keeps posting ignorant posts on their wall trying to start a fight. By violent persecutor of the church, Paul had papers that legally uh, allowed him to go into the homes of people who claimed the name of Christ, men and women and children, and to drag them back to Jerusalem so that they might be tried, and that he would, would, be, would, would raise his hand when it came to the time for the death penalty phase and say, kill him. That is what Paul was doing when he came face to face in a collision with Christ. I don't think he earned it. Verse 14 is interesting. He also talks about how you've heard about, and this is really interesting, advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. He's like, you know, you heard about me too because, you know, I was a, and, I, and I'm sorry, I do read some of Paul's writings. I'm like, dude, a little thick there, buddy. You heard about me. I was the uh, <clears throat> rock star of Judaism. I was the up-and-comer. I was the man who willingly laid all those things aside for Christ, who looked at all of those, those wonderful awards or perceptions or claims that were being placed on him to be the next Gamaliel in the Pharisees. And he looked at all those things and he said, I counted those as garbage compared to the unsurpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. So Paul's doing this thing. Now, now think about this for a second. This is how conflicted Paul had to have been at some point. He was so zealous for his religion that in his mind it was acceptable for him to disobey one of the law's most basic tenets, murder, in order to protect his religion. 
I mean, that's just, it's so whack. So, so why did Paul get accepted by God? Was it something he did? Absolutely not. He was a persecutor. He was a self-righteous zealot who didn't deserve mercy and grace, and yet he received it in completion. He received it to the full. And what, what is Paul's testimony? The testimony is this. There is freedom for the one who is so very far away from God. The persecutor. The violent offender. And he says there's nobody so bad they can't be rescued by his grace. There's no one so bad they can't drink of his mercy full. So so don't be distraught over how bad you are if you're sitting here this morning fulfilling one of your mom's New Year's resolutions to drag you to church every Sunday. Don't be distraught if you sit here like, I'm just too bad. There's no way Jesus could never reach me. No, I think you don't understand what bad is. I mean, if Paul was to sit you down, I was trying to think today, it's like if if Paul was to go out for, you know, would he go for coffee? No, it doesn't seem Paul's style. I'm guessing, I'm guessing a beer is out for Paul too, so probably water, no lemon, just give it to me straight. Just give me a water. All right, so you think you're too bad to be reached by the grace of Jesus Christ and experience his mercy? It's a good thing I said water. You guys would be worried about what I just took a drink of, but I was a murderer. Quit your whining. I mean, that's Paul. Quit it. Pick up your head and look. You are lost and helpless and hopeless on your own, but because of God, who loved you so much he gave you his son, you have freedom. Don't be distraught over how bad you are. Answer the call of Jesus as he calls you to his side. So there is freedom for the one who's so very far away from God, and there is freedom for the one who sits here this morning for all the wrong reasons. No one is so good that they don't need to be rescued by God. Don't be impressed with how good you are. Paul was the man. Yeah, I made light of it. He was the man, the former self-righteous one. And he would say, you think you have something? I had it all. And yet, you know what I found? I was the chief of sinners. I love the fact that Paul talks about his former life. You heard about my former life. What made his former life possible? What made it possible to go from Paul to Paul? I mean, what, 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 what made it possible? Was it living this pristine and perfect life? Absolutely not. The only way there's a possibility for a former life is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one that made the former life possible. Jesus and Paul had that huge collision. Jesus became Paul's primary focus, his first love, and he wrestled with and he grasped how impossible it was to understand that, you remember the verse, the full depth and breadth and height and width of Jesus' love for me. The fact that I was a murderer, the fact that I was trying to earn my own way to heaven, and yet Jesus' love rescued me. I think maybe we've forgotten how beautiful grace is, how precious it is. I think for many of us, we've abandoned our love for Jesus, and instead we've given that affection to Another person? A church? A position? A tradition? 
a religion. I'm going to tell you this right now. There is no other good news. The good news is that Jesus Christ died for you, rescuing you and freeing you from this present age. So as we leave this place, may we love him more this week as we remember how much he loved you. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you that in our weakest and quietest moments, you're still there. Father, I thank you that as we wrestle with what it is to know you and to love you more, that even when we make mistakes, even when we willfully sin, even when we fall on our faces, that you're good and you forgive us when we come and cry out to you. Lord, I, I pray that we would remember that the thing that matters most isn't even something we title as the gospel. The thing that matters most is that Jesus Christ died, and yet that's the gospel. <laughs> Lord, forgive us for chasing after things that are empty and in the long run worthless. God, I pray that you would forgive us for making other things more important. I pray you'd protect us from running after false gospels. And instead, Lord, I pray that we would see Jesus and Jesus alone as the object of our affection. It's in his good name I pray. Amen. <laughs>